back in your place. Believe me, there is nothing wrong with it. Except we have to get through a lot of stuff before we can leave here. Good morning. My name is Mark Kohlbrenner. My wife and Lori and I serve as greeters and life care leaders. And we've been members of, we're infants here compared to the other ones that have been up here, but we've been here about six years, a little over six years. And we love Resurrection Life Church. <laughs> Welcome to all you people at home on Zoom. I don't want you to have coffee because I don't have any, but if you do, that's okay. It's just a wonderful thing. I want to thank Shelby and Gabe and Mickey and Dave and the greeters and the parking lot ministry and the multimedia and everybody that makes the service so great for us. Awesome job they do. As some of you know, Lori and I just went on an amazing vacation. We spent two and a half weeks out west touring through the national parks, some of the state parks, and just seeing how great God's creation is how beautiful the, the things that he's created is. When you read in Genesis, the first chapter, where it says God created the heavens and the earth, brought light to the earth, and then separated the land from the water, and the plants and, and stuff sprouted from the ground, you can only imagine how beautiful his creation is. Lori and I were able to see God's creation in many places that we went. It's an awesome country we live in that is just so beautiful in so many different ways. And then God created the animals, the birds, the fish, the wildlife, and he made some amazing animals that we were able to enjoy. And then God created humans, each and every one of us. So before I go farther, I'd like to pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beautiful sunshine over your creation, your earth that you created. We thank you for the animals and the wildlife. We thank you for the country that we live in, that we can worship you without worry. We can celebrate you without condemnation. Father, we thank you for all the people, everyone that you have created, both now and in the past. We ask that you be with us today, that we hear your words, that what I say is your words and your love and your grace coming through. Father, everything that we do today should be in your glory and in your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So God created humans. He created each and every one of us. But he created us to be unique and different. We don't look the same. We don't think the same. We all have different ideas, talents, skills, and different interests. Whether you're tall or short, big or small, male or female, you're a carpenter, you're a seamstress, you're a fisherman, whatever your, your career is, whatever you like to do, if you're a bird watcher or go looking at the animals that we did. God created us, and no matter what the differences are between us, we all have some things that are very common. It's com one of the commonalities we have is the way God created us. And the second and most important one is that Jesus died for each and every one of us. God gave his only son so that our sins could be forgiven. Casting Crowns has a song that really touches my heart. It's called, Who Am I? And the first part of the song goes, who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Did you ever ask that question of yourself? Who am I? 
that God knows my name, that loves me. I ask it quite often. We are the creation of God. Each and every one of us were created by God. We are loved by God. And we are all someone that Jesus has died for. And then the song goes on and says, not because of who I am, but because of what you have done. Not because of what I have done, but because of who you are. Casting crowns is telling us that God loves us no matter who we are or what we've done. It's what God has done for us. It's what God, who God is to us that makes the biggest difference in our lives. That is what is the most important thing for us is what God has done for us. He gave his one and only son so that we could join him in eternal life. But he also made us in his own image. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let us make it in our image. We were created in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We were created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Think about how amazing that is for us. We are created in the image of God, in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, and in the image of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. He made us just like him. He made us just like Jesus. And God has plans for us. We've heard Jeremiah 29, 11 many times. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has only good plans for us, plans for hope, a confident expectation of good, and plans for a future. So if we're created in the image of God, in the image of Jesus Christ, in the image of the Holy Spirit, and God has good plans for us for hope in the future, because we know that God only does good, why, are we, why do we not act like, live like, and love like Jesus? Why do we not act like and live like and love like God? Why do we do whatever we want to do at times? if we're supposed to be like God and Jesus. It's because we've been given the freedom to choose how we want to live, how we want to act, and how we want to love. And God will not force us to do what is right. God will not force his will upon us. We have to accept that will and follow that will. Every one of us has reasons for why we live the way we live. Every one of us has our own reasons for why we do what we do or don't do. Every one of us has our own reasons for why we say or don't say. But behind it all is either God or the enemy. It comes down to two working together. It's either us and God or us and the enemy. Which team are you on? This reminds me of when I was a young boy playing basketball in the playground. And yes, the answer to the question is I did play basketball. But on the playground, you would have two captains that would pick their team. They would alternate taking choices of the players in line ready to play. First one captain would pick and then the other and back and forth. Each captain was trying to pick 
the teammates that were going to have him give him the best opportunity at winning. Oftentimes it would go back and forth, back and forth as they went down the line, and then they got to the last one. You know, that kid, that kid that nobody wanted on their team because he couldn't make a basket if he had to. You know, big, tall, lanky, kind of clumsy. I was that kid on the playground often. But on the playground, those captains were choosing the team members that were going to help them to win. In life, you are the team captain. You get to choose from two players. Both players, God and the enemy, have their own skills, their own methods, their own abilities, and their own plans for you. Both players want to be on your team. Which one are you going to choose? Who do you want on your team? It's easy to say that we'll all choose God for the devil because that's what we want in our lives. But unfortunately, we don't always follow through with that. Yes, there are times when choosing the enemy on your team and we're working in conjunction with the enemy, but you've got to remember that there's no winning on that team. That's a losing team. There's no victory there. If you're like me, you aren't too thrilled when you pick the wrong team. When you pick the enemy in spite of all of God's greatness and goodness and love for you, it's going to be bad for you. None of us are immune from the enemy's influences. He's out there looking for you to choose him. He's that one in the crowd going, me, 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 pick me, pick me. I want your team. Unfortunately, many people choose to team up with him. Life is a journey, and along the way it's difficult for some. We all have different experiences. We follow different paths. Many of us make our own decisions, and some of them are good, and some of them are not so good. And this has been true for every human being since Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. But because we serve a loving, grace-giving, forgiving God, we can overcome these indiscretions. We can overcome the times that we chose to team up with the enemy. We can overcome the enemy. We can overcome the enemy because Jesus has overcome the world. And he has made us overcomers. But we don't do that alone. We have God protecting us, we have Jesus at our side, and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. John 16.33 says, I have told, I have told you the th these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world for us. He's taken away our sins. There's many people in the Bible that chose the enemy as their teammate. They chose to team up with the enemy and do things in their life. But the stories in the Bible show us how people that have chosen to go the wrong way, to do the wrong thing, are still blessed by God in spite of what they did. In some cases, horrible things. People in the Bible, there's people in life that have teamed up with the enemy and still come out winners. Jeremiah, who wrote those words about God's plan for us, was called upon God to warn the kingdom of Judah of their impending doom. Judah was one of the 12 tribes of the Israelites. Jacob's son Judah, who was the fourth in line, was the leader of the, the Judah. But who was he really? Who was the founder of this kingdom? You might remember the story of his youngest brother, Joseph. 
Jacob, Judah and Joseph's father, had 11, son, 11 other sons, had 12 sons total. But Jacob loved Joseph more than all the other boys. And he loved him more because he was born very late in life for Joseph, for, I'm sorry, for Jacob and, and Rachel. It was very late in their life that Joseph was born. So he, he became the chosen child. Jacob loved him so much that he gave him a fancy coat to show his love for him. And his brother disliked that a lot, to the point of almost hating Joseph. Well, one day Joseph had a dream and he tells his family about it. And in this dream, Joseph sees bundles of wheat that he's working on in a field bowing down to him. And then the sun, the moon, and the stars bow down to him. This really got his brothers mad because they thought that Joseph might think that they would bow down to him also. So one day Joseph goes out in the pastures where his brothers are tending the sheep and they find an opportunity to get rid of him. The original thought is they should just kill him and throw him in a pit. And then his brother Reuben says, no, just put him in a dry well. Because Reuben thought that he could have the opportunity later on to go free Joseph and send him on his way. Well, as Reuben is saying that, along comes a group of Ishmaelites through the, the, the desert, and they see an opportunity to do something different. In Genesis 37, 26, Judah says, what will we gain if we kill our brother and hide his body? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not harm him. After all, he's our brother. So it looks like Judah's taking a turn for the good, but really he has ulterior motives. He knows that once they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites, they'll chain his feet and his hands together and make him walk through the desert till they get to their destination. And after that, he'll be a slave that's put to work in some harsh, very difficult conditions with very little food or water. So Joseph is not likely to survive being in the slavery with them. Judah found a way to eliminate Joseph without making it real obvious because they knew, the brothers knew if they killed him and it was found that they would face some serious consequences. Well, the rest of the story is Joseph survives. He becomes a favored person of Pharaoh because he could interpret the dreams. The land where Judah and his family lived became very desolate, very dry, and they couldn't grow crops. So they had to go to Joseph to get food. Joseph has them bring his father to them, and then things go well. It goes really well because Judah, in spite of his treachery to try to eliminate Joseph, forms a tribe of Israelites and leads them, and they become one of the richest, most powerful tribes. The tribe of Judah flourished. Judah, his power and riches and everything he got came from God. God blessed Judah and all of the people of his tribe. God blessed him in spite of the fact that he plotted to and was trying to successfully kill his brother. Isn't it an awesome forgiving God we serve? Then there's the story of the woman who got caught in the act of adultery. She was brought before the teachers of law and the Pharisees and the religious men and according to the law of Moses, she was to be put to death by stoning. Stoned to death. Put in the center of a group of people and they throw stones at you until it kills you. Then Jesus, who was right there, realized that the Pharisees were trying to trap him. They said to Jesus, what do you think of this? And they knew that Jesus was not going to go along with stoning her. So they were trying to trap him into saying something wrong. Well, Jesus bends down and he starts writing in the sand. 
And after a little while, he looks up and he says, Let anyone who is without sin throw the first stone. Let any one of you in this group that's without sin throw that first stone. Well, at that statement from Jesus, everyone walked away except Jesus and the woman. Jesus asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And when she says no, sir, to Jesus, Jesus responds, well, then neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. While Jesus' teachings and his sacrifice and his resurrection freed us from many of the original laws in the Bible, not the Ten Commandments, they stand firm, but many of the, the laws of the Jewish people that Moses brought to them, this woman still could have been rebuked. She still could have been reprimanded by Jesus because she violated one of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus, seeing her devotion and saying very nicely to him, no, sir, instead he shows God's grace and God's love and says she is forgiven, sets her free. She is forgiven by the grace of God through his only son just as we are. These are two very different people in different circumstances who both had the same results, grace and forgiveness from God. That same grace and forgiveness is available to me. It's available to you. It's available to anyone that wants to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The next Bible story is from Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and he's one of my favorites. Many will remember Peter as the one who denied Jesus as he was being persecuted. But you remember that Peter was one of the first disciples that Jesus showed up to after the resurrection. Oh yeah, in spite of Jesus, in spite of Peter telling Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, and then at a time when Jesus needed him the most said, I don't know him, he came to Peter after the resurrection and said, peace be with you. And many of us can relate to some of Peter's characteristics and traits and learn from Peter. Peter and John were in Jerusalem teaching about Jesus in the temple when the religious leaders had them arrested. The next day, a council of religious rulers, elders, and teachers of religious law got together to hear the case. Now keep in mind, many of these leaders did not know Jesus or did not believe in the resurrection. After Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, told the church leaders about the healing power of Jesus, he said that stone that the builders rejected is the cornerstone. A cornerstone when you're building a building is the beginning of the foundation. It's the basis of the foundation of that building you're going to build. that gives it the strength and ability to stand. The cornerstone that Peter is talking about is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our religion, the cornerstone of Christianity. Well, after Peter got done teaching, the religious leaders responded in Acts 4.13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Ordinary men that Jesus chose to be disciples. Ordinary men, ordinary women. Ordinary people with no special training in the scriptures. We're all ordinary people. Some have more training than others. But how many have special training in the scriptures that you would have been considered a part of the religious leaders of the Pharisees? I'm an ordinary man. My training in the scriptures came from reading, 
from hearing, from sharing, from studying the Word of God. And I don't consider that any type of special training. It is special to me, but I have no formal education in the Scriptures. At one point, Peter made a Jesus made a request of Peter, but Peter responded to him first. It was when Jesus was teaching on the shore of Galilee, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he looked over and saw two empty fishing boats. Jesus got into Peter's boat, and he told him to push off and go there into the deep water. Peter's response was, Luke 5, 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let the nets down. Peter was saying, like, you know, we've been out fishing all night. I'm tired. I'm kind of hungry. I want to get some rest. And I'll follow you anyways. We all don't always do what God is asking us to do. We don't always do what God is asking us to do without some resistance or making our statement first. Sometimes we just have to get our opinion or our point across. Come on, who hasn't done it? Really, God? Really, God, you want me to go there? I don't want to go there, but I will. God, I don't think I can love him because I know he can't love me. I really don't want to do what you're asking me to do, Lord, because it's too difficult for me. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you know the really educated ones, the smart religious ones, were asking Jesus, why are the disciples breaking the traditions of Jewish law? The traditions in law said that you ceremonially wash your hands before you eat. It was believed that one would defile themselves if you didn't ceremonially wash your hands. Jesus responded with a parable, as he often did, and it will be Peter who asked him to explain it. The parable is in Matthew 15:10. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Well, after Jesus said that, Peter said to Jesus, can you explain that to us? In Matthew 15, 17 through 20, Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters your mouth goes into your stomach and then out of the body? But the thing that comes out of a person's mouth comes from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Jesus is telling those Pharisees and teachers and all the people that were listening, it isn't what you put in your mouth that makes you unclean or bad. It's what comes out of your mouth. The things that come out of our mouth come from our heart, directly from our heart. Out of our heart comes either evil or good. The only thing that should be coming out of our heart, through our mouth, should be love. The only thing that should be coming out of our mouths is words that help build others up. Now, my wife Lori is always telling me it's not what I say, it's how I say it. And she is quite often right. <laughs> always right. <laughs> yes, I said that, honey, always right. You can use the most loving words. But if your delivery is wrong, they can do more harm than good. 
I am a work in progress. I am trying to improve. I'm trying to get the brain functioning before the mouth does, but it's not always successful. Peter showed amazing faith and devotion to Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter in John 21, 18 to 19, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You were able to go wherever you wanted to go. You, were, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let Peter know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Was a prediction from Jesus to Peter about the way he would die. Tradition indicates that Peter did die hanging from a cross by crucifixion. But because he did not feel worthy of dying like Jesus, he was hung upside down. He accepted that death, but honored Jesus at the same time. That late last statement in that scripture is for all of us. Follow me. Jesus says, follow me. We may, have uns we may be uncertain about our future or fearful about what's going to happen in our lives, but we must know that God is in control. God is with us, and we can confidently follow Jesus. Peter ends up denying Jesus at a time when he needed him the most. In Mark 14, 29, Peter said, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And then when he's called out by people in the crowd to say, Were you with Jesus or you're one of Jesus' people? Three different times he says, No, not me. Throughout Jesus' ministry, Peter was right there. Right strong with him, had a strong relationship. In fact, Peter witnessed some of Jesus' first miracles. And yet he denied ever knowing Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. Well, when Jesus comes back and, and greets Peter, and he's talking to Peter, he says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Jesus. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Peter says, all three times I do. That three times that Pe Jesus asked Peter if he loved him was Jesus' way of saying, I forgive you for those three times that you said you didn't know me. At a time when Jesus needed it most, Peter wasn't there, yet Jesus forgave him for his denial. And Jesus forgave him for what he'd done wrong and accepted him back. So where is my message going? My message is going to Who Am I? The song we started with. I started my life doing really well. As a young child, I went to Catholic Church and I was going to devote my life to helping others. Just imagine the little boy on his bicycle an old Schwinn bicycle had two big metal baskets on the back. If you're really young, you wouldn't remember, but two big metal baskets like Harley saddlebags on the back. In one basket was my rubber boots and my rubber raincoat. and the other basket was a, a length of garden hose and a fire helmet. 
And I'd be riding down the street with my siren screaming, and I won't do it in church because it'll hurt your ears. On my way to the fire at the Roberts house. And I would pull in their driveway and I'd hook up my fire hose to their faucet and turn the water on and spray the pretend fire on the house. And yes, sometimes the windows were open. But I was going to devote my life to helping people and being a good person. Then my life took a turn away from Jesus. I decided to team up with the enemy and chose Satan for my side. I was a 16-year-old going to the Chicago market and buying beer for the boys in the neighborhood. At the time, the drinking age was 18. I was six foot three, and I looked old enough, so I never had a problem getting whatever I needed for beer. Then I would go meet the boys behind the Presbyterian church, and we'd drink up all the beer, or as much as we could, and just have a great time. And yes, it was right behind the church. The pastor was a very loving man, Enough that he put a trash can there for our empties. As a college student, I went to MVCC, which had an on-campus pub. Now, why you would put a beer garden in a college, I just never understood. But my grade point average equaled about the same as my blood alcohol level. If you don't know how blood alcohol works, it's measured in very small fractions. At 0.08%, you can be charged with driving while intoxicated. That was about my grade point average for my first year of college. My team could have been called the Devils. We could have had a really cool looking mascot. As a young adult, I would drink, smoke, and gamble every dollar I had except for my car payment and enough gas to get me through the month. Me and beer became best friends. I was also one of the most competitive people you ever wanted to meet. I was not only a really poor loser, I was a worse winner. If I was losing, I could be mean. If I was winning, I could be meaner. My scoreboard read pride one, humility zero. When I was drinking, I could be a very difficult person to be around. I didn't like people commenting on my height. I didn't like people commenting on the clothes I wear. I didn't like any negativity. And I would voice my opinion, usually very harshly. I was certainly living on the wrong side of righteousness, and I was all out Team Satan. So how did I get away from myself or break the, the cycle of myself? It was by spending time with the Lord and learning about the Holy Spirit within me. It was getting back into a relationship with Jesus Christ. When I finally realized that my plans were not working, my directions were leading me down the wrong path, my idea of fun was harming myself and a lot of people around me, is when I realized I was on the losing team. I had to switch teammates and choose Jesus. And I found that things were going a lot better with Jesus on my team. I wasn't always successful, and I'm still not always successful at following him. I still stumble and fall. I still choose the other side occasionally. But I work hard at making sure that I'm staying on the right team. It was my family and my church family and the brothers and sisters in Christ that I surrounded myself with that helped me get back on the right path. I thank God every day for my family and especially for Lori, my wife. She stood by me. She stuck with me. She loved me and forgave me just like God did. Without the love, support, and forgiveness of my family, 
I would have continued on the side of the enemy. Again, still a work in progress, but I know that I'm making progress. My grandchildren were on vacation last week, and my grandson bought me a hat. On the front it says, don't quit. D-O and I-T are highlighted in green. It says, do it. It says, pray and never give up. The enemy strives to steal, kill, and destroy us. He strives to take us down to the deepest depths and make our lives miserable. We can break that cycle by reading the Bible and doing daily devotions. That will help us strengthen our resolve. We need to rely on each other, rely on other Christian brothers and sisters to help us to focus on God. Remember when Jesus called Peter out of the boat onto the water, Peter was fine walking on the water with Jesus until he lost his focus. He stopped focusing on Jesus, he sank in the water. It was reaching out to Jesus that pulled him back up. Spending time with the Lord is one of the best means of following him. We serve a loving father who sent his one and only son to die for us. Jesus was sinless, and yet he took our sins. Like those in the Bible that sinned, and they didn't live most holy lives, they were forgiven by God. We are forgiven by God. We can be forgiven, and God forgets our sins. If those stories of forgiveness don't touch your heart or still leave you in doubt, if you think you're too sinful or to be forgiven, or if you think it's too late for you to be accepted by God, God grants his grace and forgiveness to everyone. I give you the story of the criminal on the cross. Jesus was hung on the cross with a criminal on each side of him. When people were walking by, they were mocking Jesus. If you're the Messiah, free yourself. If you're the Messiah, get yourself out of this. And then one of the criminals next to him was saying the same thing. In Luke 23, 40 to 43, but the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' reply was, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a criminal about to take his last breath. May or may not ever known what Jesus was about until he got up on the cross next to him. And yet when he said to Jesus, remember me, I believe in you, I know who you are, Jesus took him with him. And how about Paul? Paul was a religious leader who was persecuting the Christians. He was imprisoning them. He was executing them. He was known as Saul, and he was just ravenous against Jesus' followers. In Acts 9.1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Well, one day on the road to Damascus, a bright light comes upon Saul. It blinds him. And Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you doing this to me? And Jesus strikes him blind and tells him to go into the city and await for further instructions. Then Jesus reaches out to Ananias 
and tells Ananias in Acts 9.15, Go for Saul. He is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as the people of Israel. So Saul, or Paul as he was named, the persecutor of Christians was the chosen instrument that Jesus chose to share his word. How well did Paul do? He traveled everywhere to proclaim the good news of Jesus. He preached in every city he could ever go to. He wrote 13 or 14 books in the New Testament. A majority of the New Testament he wrote. And he was killed for his beliefs and his teachings. Jesus forgave him. God forgave him. So what have you done wrong in your life? What are you living with that you need forgiveness from? What are you living with that you need to forgive? We all have our own stories. We all have our own histories. But we do have one thing in common. Nothing we have done is too difficult for God to forgive. There is no condemnation if you believe. You can receive forgiveness if you repent and you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And we aren't supposed to do this alone. Before Jesus died, he said he would send another to help us. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Lord sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to lead us and to guide us. It's there to guide us through this crazy life we're living in, this crazy times. The Holy Spirit is what keeps us directly connected to the Father and his Son. And the Bible says we need to stand together. We need other Christians to help us along. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need to be connected. The more strands we weave together, the stronger we become. Three strands is not easily broken. Hundreds of strands cannot be broken. We can defeat the enemy. Are you connected or are you trying to do this alone? On top of all the promises of eternal life and, and forgiveness and salvation, remember Jeremiah 29.11, I have plans for you, plans for good and not destruction, to give you a future and a hope. God puts us in the place he wants us to be. He puts the people in our lives he wants us to be surrounded by and connected to. And he puts people in our lives that he wants us to be a blessing to. All we have to do is recognize God's presence and purpose in our life. All we have to do is follow those good plans. Now, if you came to church this morning, if you're watching online, and you think you're here because you want to be, and if you look around at all these other people here with us and all these smiling faces and think they all want to come here too, you're probably right. But if someone wanted to come here today, they wanted more in life. And they probably came here because they were being obedient to God. I know you didn't come here to hear me or listen to me or see me. You came here for God because you're being obedient. God has for us to bless each other. He has for us to be connected. If you're not connected with one of the ministries here at Resurrection Life, you're not a greeter or an usher, you don't work in Res Kids or Quest, our multimedia team upstairs, or Journey Recovery, you need to connect because you're missing out on an opportunity to connect with brothers and sisters 
who will love you and support you through whatever you've been through or are going through in life. And if you're not attending a life care, you're really missing out even more. Life care is group meetings that meet on Wednesday afternoon and Wednesday evenings that connects brothers and sisters in Christ together. In life care, we pray together, we discuss the Sunday message together, we support each other, we help each other do life. We're all in this battle together. The more you interconnect those cords, the stronger we all become. When I was preparing this message, I heard a news story, and I keep reflecting on it, of the people in Ukraine. Not only is their military fighting super hard to defend their country, but their fellow citizens, the ordinary people, are doing much on their own. I read a story in the news about a city where the Russian military had moved in. And the citizens of that city decided to stand against them and protest them being there. So the citizens came out in numbers and stood in the streets. They were not going to let the Russians into their city. In spite of the Russians firing their guns over these people's heads, throwing concussion grenades that make loud noises and very disturbing sounds, the people stood their ground. They were not going to move for the Russians. Eventually, the Russians realized that nobody was shooting at them. Nobody was physically fighting them. The people were just standing in protest. So they turned around and left the city. Why shouldn't we as Christians do the same? Why shouldn't we stand together and drive away the enemy? We have the weapons we need. We have the Bible. We have prayer. We have connection with each other. And we have God on our side. We can defeat the enemy together. We all have difficulties and struggles. We all make our mistakes. God has a plan and executed the plan to take care of it. He gave his son for us. We need to walk together in the, plan of, in the path of righteousness in strength and in unity. It's never too late, no matter what you've done. Jesus took the criminal crucified on the cross next to him to heaven with him because he believed. It's never too late to take the right path to heaven. As Jesus said to the disciples, come and follow me. Let us all follow Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're hearing about Jesus' amazing sacrifice for you and looking to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, we want to welcome you into Christ's family. It's an amazing family, and we will pray for you. If you're a saved Christian, and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but this message really spoke deep into your heart, or if you know Jesus is your Savior, and you want to just pray, I invite everyone to join me in prayer by repeating after me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice a sacrifice that took away our sins. We thank you that you are always with us, always protecting us, that you have a plan for us, a plan for good, for a future and a hope. Father, we honor you and love you. We want to follow Jesus. We want to live like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to love like Jesus. 
We want to be better Christians. We want to be better disciples. And we want to bless everyone we come in contact with. Father God, we thank you for saving us. Amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, you need to tell someone because you have just joined an amazing family and we want to celebrate for you. And if it is your first time, fill out the pamphlet you were given on the way in and take it to the Life Source Center out in the lobby. We want to pray for you. I want to thank everyone for coming today. I want to thank you for letting me share the words God gave me with you. And I want to pray for you. Father God, I thank you for all the brothers and sisters gathered together here. I want to thank you that we are intertwining in the toughest cord ever made. I want to thank you for your grace, your glory, and your forgiveness for each and every one of us. And I want to ask that you guide and protect us all as we leave here today to go out into that crazy world and become better Christians to serve and bless the people we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.